heart on it bigger I, I deserve a cosign everybody it is Kiki and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Co-Sign podcast um yeah <laughs> Dougie here my brother my friend Douglas Watley of the Watleys I'll clap, I'll clap for you Dougie oh thank you thank you thank you man I am look I'm a little sluggish today so hopefully in the next couple minutes something's gonna kick in and I'm I can gonna... tell I can tell you're a little slow today but once Mr. Bob started telling us a little bit about the history, I'm going to get kind of riled up inside. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to something. Okay, so that's a perfect segue for me. Um, I literally have been hearing this guy's name my entire life. We're from the same area. Um, shout out to the Midwest. Shout out to Central Illinois. Um, from the same area. Grew up really around the same church folk, our churches uh, fellowship together. And so my entire life, I have known like the mystery of uh, Bobby Robinson, like not known him personally, but known his name, known his work and known that, you know, we have ties back to the Midwest. So, I mean, I really don't have to introduce him if you are a music lover and R&B lovers more specifically. If you know your music, then you know Tim and Bob. Okay, there's just no way around that. You know Boys to Men, you know Tim and Bob. You know 112, you know Tim and Bob. You know Tamia, Big Thong Song, I believe. Into those actual songs later. You guys, please help me welcome Bobby of Tim and Bob to the podcast. I'm so honored. <laughs> thank you. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure. And um, yes, shout out to the Midwest. Shout out to Peoria. Shout out to Bloomington. Bloomington in the house. Bloomington <laughs> <laughs> is in the house. I love my town. Y'all know I go up. I go up for Bloomington. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'm happy to be here, though. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about your like upbringing. I was born and raised in Peoria. Um, I started off, you know, I'm, um, my dad is a pastor of a church. He actually didn't st begin preaching until um, like I was out of high school, right when I got out of high school. Okay. Right before I moved from Peoria. But, um, you know, all my life I grew up playing the organ in church. I started playing the organ in church when I was eight. So I started really young and, uh, you know, from there, you know, um, playing in different church bands and stuff growing up through high school. And, you know, uh, my, my favorite church band growing up or my favorite band period was Commission, you know, Gospel Group Commission. So this yeah. group that I was in, we thought we was commissioned, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm almost too embarrassed. Go ahead. Now nah, we were we were called converted. That was our name. <laughs> converted. So churchy. We even tried to make our name <laughs> like. What's the song that y'all knew y'all gonna kill? If y'all go to the church, y'all knew y'all gonna kill this one. What is it? Um, love is in love, and you know what? We did a lot of whining songs too. So we would do like, uh, uh, millions didn't make it. 
question is, you know, I, I grew up on all of those songs to even planning those songs for other people. And right. So, so anyway, you know, going through high school, doing that, um, not pretty had pretty much had a normal up, up raising and, uh, you know, at church four or five days a week, choir rehearsal three days a week, you know, and, um, that whole thing. And then <clears throat> around when I got around, around 17, no, 16. I met Tim when I was 16. And, um, but I had, I had knew who his family was, cause you know, Peoria is a small town. So everyone knows everybody's family. And so, and when I was like two, three years old, Tim's father was like the best barber in town. So he, he cut my hair since I was a kid. And so, but I, I actually met Tim when I was about 16. And that's when we first connected and started, you know, working on music together. And so, um, Actually, he was he was dating my sister. That's how I met him. Oh. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's how we connected, and so um, so yeah, it kind of our, our career kind of started from there. So when you were younger, other than the whinings, what what were you listening to? Like, who was influencing you at that age? You mean on the church side, or just in general, what was influencing? Me? It doesn't matter. Well, guess, you know what? Inspiration from. I just thought about it because. Until I became I became a teenager, really, the only music that I really heard was other than church music was um, the top forty stations. Because like in Peoria, we didn't have urban radio. So, and and I always say this like one of the best things that my mother could have did was just turn the radio on because I was always with my mother in the car. And so, but the best thing she could have did was to just turn the radio on and leave it on because the education that I got from the music of that era, you know, growing up in the seventies in the eighties in the Midwest and the music, like it's, is again, it's the best thing she could have done because it trained my ear to hear popular songs or top 40, mm -hmm. you know, for lack of a better term, uh, songs. But these are the songs that have been around for generations and generations. They and they're gonna continue. They're never gonna go away. So so it was like I was getting I was like by default getting a master class on songwriting, producing, um, radio format, all these things I was getting a lesson on since I was a kid. And I didn't even realize I was getting these lessons because a lot of times, even today, that's the information that I downloaded back then is what I access in certain situations now when I'm working on certain music, like, okay, how would this, ah, and I think of a certain song uh, that I love and I'll incorporate that. For example, um, just to give you an example, like, Can I Touch You from 112. Can I touch you? Right. The bridge of that song, you know, when it goes, Can I touch you there? Yeah. Me, you it's it's there. Yep. I got that, those chords, are the same chords that are in um, Close to You from the Carpenters. Why do birds fall from the nuts? Every oh time I'm here, it's the same chord. Oh my God. That's an example of, that's an example of information I downloaded back then. 30 years later, I reached back and said, oh, that'll be good to do in this situation. Wow. So that's what I mean when I say, I was getting a master class and I didn't even realize it because those those writers from that era and, and since then, but like that's like the foundation of where I started. And when you look at it like, 
you know, like I was saying, four days a week I'm in church. So that's where I was going to get in, you know, black culture, church yep. culture, all yep. of that, the singing and, yep. um, you know, being able to um, on the fly change a key or follow somebody and they change key and I'm the organ, being able to make those adjustments on the fly. Those kind of situations trained me to be able to or gave me the ability to be in the studio. And then someone says, you know what? Let's put a bridge right here. Can we do a bridge right here and then modulate? I'm prepared to do that. And this is me, and I'm saying this is me from my perspective. Tim's perspective is a little different because he didn't grow up in the same way I did, you know, in the church in terms of music. His background was is a little different uh, because he he came from um, a very very musical family. My family wasn't. I was the only person. Like my sisters are both singers, but um, I essentially was the only music person in my family, but Tim's father was in an amazing band at the time that was like, they were like the second coming of Irwin and Fire. So they were amazing. And so he was, he grew up around that and he grew up around a wealth of uh, R&B music. Like uh, when, when I went over to his place, like that's, that's one of the first like wonderful lessons that I got about the history of R&B music was through Tim. Oh, wow. And I, like when we first like, he was like, you ever heard Sensuality from the Icy Brothers? I'm like, Sensuality? <laughs> no, you ain't never heard that. Hold on, man. He goes to the record and play it and it blew my mind. Yeah. And so, um, but Tim had never heard of Commission. I said, you never heard of Commission? He's like, yeah, I think I heard them. Whining something. So then I played them Ordinary from Commission and it just changed his life. Like, man. he didn't know gospel music could ever be interpreted from a contemporary perspective like that. He was like, this is gospel music? Yeah. <laughs> and so when we first met, it was a lot of that. Let me show you this. Oh, hold on, I got to show you this song, man. You never heard uh, such and such from Earth, Wind and Fire. You never heard this. And, uh, and so it was like, we were just, the exchange of information was amazing. Things right? that stick out to me um, about everything you just said, a couple of things. First thing is, being born and raised in literally the same place as you. Right. Um, <laughs> right. One thing that I tell people all the time is we did not have urban radio. I was probably in high school or something when we got a real urban radio station. Mm. I tell people that when they're from like a major city or from like either the South or something, it's hard for them to conceptualize. Like, what do you mean you didn't have yeah. radio? We yeah. spent a lot of time in Chicago, our summers in Chicago, our holidays in Chicago. So we always had GCI and 1390. GCI, BMX. Yeah, yeah, yeah we had that stuff. Okay. And then we had parents who had like all the Dusties, all the records. Right. And then I'm the third of five kids. So I had older siblings that were buying 112 albums mm. and buying Boys to right. albums and just like Kimberell and Winans and everybody. Right. They were just feeding me that stuff. But it was all like being incubated in my home. It wasn't that I could turn on the radio and listen to it. But right. when it comes around to what I call like my musical intelligence, when it comes around to my taste in music, I was hugely impacted by what I did have in radio in Bloomington. I'm a huge yeah. soft rock fan. I'm a huge country oh, fan. You know, I could I could go any place, anywhere, and know a song. You know, absolutely. It's, and you know what? Again, like I said, from that era that I grew up in in the '70s, like 
Dan Fogelberg is one of the most profound, prolific, yes. uh, bluegrass, yes. all them, uh, top 40 writers yes. of that era. He's from Peoria, Illinois. He went to <laughs> Woodruff High School. I found that out like three I years ago. <laughs> and two, about two or three of his songs are some of my favorite songs in life. Yeah, I didn't know he like, was from Peoria. Uh, Dan Fogelberg is from Peoria, Illinois. Wow. Like, I would never imagine that. Like, I've been listening to his music for my entire life. Come to find out he's from Peoria. He went to Woodruff High School. That's crazy. Well, what do you guys think? Uh, what do you guys think? Um, what is the sound that comes from the Midwest? Because you guys, we talk so much about the Midwest on here. What is the, what is the musical sensibility from the Midwest? Because I don't know it, so tell me. And this is either one of you. Well, what I would say is, as it, do you happen to, I don't know if you happen to play any instruments, but you can, there's a certain chord that you can play is usually a natural chord. Usually when you play a natural chord, it's going to give you like, a pleasant feeling. Usually, when you play a minor chord, it you gives like you like your head a little bit. Like, Everybody's like, gives you like, okay, something, <laughs> something just happened. Something needs to be, something needs to be um, talked about. Something serious just happened. So, what you find in the Midwest, a lot of the music is more towards the warmer, lighter, natural stuff. You don't hear a lot of dark music coming from that era. Dark meaning. A lot of songs in, if I was at a keyboard, I could show you. Certain chord progressions give you a feeling of hope, give you a feeling of feeling good. A lot of music from the Midwest gives you that feeling. That's the best way. And that's what happens in our music a lot, is the different chord progressions we use are usually those warmer, feel-good chord progressions. We very seldom do songs in a minor. One song that we did in a minor that I can think of out the gate is Now That We're Done from 112. Okay. Yeah. Now That We're Done. It almost sounds haunting when it comes on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, like if you think about it in your ear, like, okay, wow. And so um, that song feels completely different than So Into You mm -hmm. from Tamia. Because Tamia is in a natural, it's in a major as opposed to a minor. Yeah. That's like the best, without being at an instrument, that's the best thing I can. I mean, that's the best way I could explain it to you. Um, and do you think, Bobby, that um, when you were talking earlier, talking about how you came from what was more so the churchy side of things, and then you got Tim, who really wasn't churchy, but he brought that R&B vibe. When you said that, like, that kind of put in my mind, like, the puzzle pieces together. Because I'm yeah. like, you guys have such a classic, like a true arm. Like you guys know how to get in and just make a song like just like peanut butter and jelly. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just feels like it just go it, from top to bottom. It just goes together. And um, I was listening to a gospel song. I won't say what song the other day. And I try, I don't think I hardly ever listen to music from like a songwriter standpoint or for a vocal arranger standpoint because I feel like that's such a small piece of who I am but I was listening to this one song and I was like they absolutely I hate when I love a song and then it gets to like a bridge or it gets to something and then it's just bad you know what I mean like why did you put that there like leave it like you could have just left it out you know just kill my whole vibe like um 
but you guys just have a way of, of making it feel like every moment in the song is intentional like every moment goes oh, and it's the sound it's the harmonies it's the it's everything and i feel like that's what you get if you're just gonna kind of throw r&b and gospel like into a bowl like that's what you're gonna get you're gonna get all of those right. things you know what i think um i think the reason for that is a lot of our main influences which are teddy riley la babyface jamin lewis um you know, those are the main influences, I would say, of, of the guys before us. And so, but what we notice constantly studying their music, especially Jimmy and Terry, they don't just have, they don't just do R&B. Mm -hmm. Something about their R&B songs will be not R&B. Like their right. melodies will be as pop as they come. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, something is going to be different. Like Janet. Janet album, Janet as an artist, she's not R&B. Right. She's not a pop artist. You can't just say she's just a pop artist. Right. Um, one of her albums will have pop songs. It'll have Asian influence on it. That little rock Rock influence, Black Cat, it'll have rock influence. So that's what we was learning, like, wow. You know, then we we constantly study and Teddy and Teddy would have the knocking drums, you know, just the, the drums of life in Teddy's yeah. music. Like Teddy was the guy to us that made doing slow songs cool. Yeah. When we first signed with Dallas, the first night we met Dallas and we played songs for him, the first thing they told us is do not play no slow songs. We don't listen to slow songs around here. Really? That's the first. Dallas himself didn't say it, but his right hand at the time, Dave Gates. That's the first thing Dave Gates. I don't know. You might even know Dave Gates. Wow. Shout out to Dave Gates. He's, if it wasn't for Dave, there wouldn't be no Tim and Bobby because he's the one that told Dallas, yeah, these dudes are legit. Here's them. Here, let's play their music. Because we had to go through Dave to meet Dallas. Yeah. And so, um, but that's the first thing Dave said to us. Don't play no slow, don't play no slow music. We don't really do slow music, right? We like, y'all don't do slow music? Are you? Are you crazy? Like, have you ever heard like tease me tonight from guy? You y'all don't do slow songs? So, so that's immediately what we thinking to ourselves, like, dang, this is crazy. But we were prepared and we played all up tempos or whatever, and it, and things went well in that meeting. And you know, it was the rest was history from there. Really quickly, so we can kind of get the clarity, because it's really difficult, I feel like, when you are in one of those smaller towns to get your name out there to kind of to that next level you can be extremely talented and be like local for a long time you know what I mean I think it'll be easier now with the internet and everything than it was yeah. for you guys back in the day so how did y'all kind of get from like small town Peoria to being one of the greatest you know producers you know in the nutshell um I think we were just at the time and we didn't realize how powerful some of the things we were doing or how, how our mindset was. We didn't realize at the time how powerful it was. And what I mean by that is this, some things like if my kid called me today and say, hey dad, I think I'm gonna move to such and such. Like if my daughter called me and said, she's gonna do something that I, that I did. Like when I moved to Detroit, it was the most violent city almost in the world. Um, and I moved there and I was, I had just turned 19 and my mom was like, a nervous wreck but my dad was like man this is C.L. Franklin yeah you gotta go you gotta do it mm -hmm. and so but we were willing to do a lot of things that 
I don't know if most people would do. We were willing to make those sacrifices. And I believe that when, you, when you're willing to make certain kind of sacrifices, you will get certain kind of results. And that's, I tell my kids that all the time. And one of the things I mean by that is when we went to Atlanta, because I could, I could go on and on about just Detroit and things that happened in Detroit because um, it, it was a wonderful situation, but it, it was a difficult situation too because, you know, I hadn't learned about how to manage money yet. And, you know, so my entire check that I was getting from that church, which was a nice check at the time, it was going towards my car because my sister was nice enough to let me, because they knew I was going to be in this big city and I needed a car. So my sister had just gotten a brand new like Toyota Cressida, which was like an expensive car back then. If you come I remember, from, like, I don't even. Yeah, know. if you had a if you had a Toyota Cressida, <laughs> you was balling. Hey, let me look up a Toyota Cressida. So my sister had a brand new Toyota Cressida, and I and I uh, she was like, "Well, you can take my car if you just pay the car note and the insurance." And it literally took up my entire check because the insurance was more expensive than the car note itself. And so, okay. So then Tim ended up moving to Detroit about a year after I was there because I met some people that owned the studio. And long story short, they was like, yeah, have your friend come up. You know, you guys can start producing at our studio, blah, blah, blah. We can do this, we can do that. So they brought Tim up, so they flew Tim up. And so, so now, but Tim didn't have a job because, you know, we were trying to, he didn't go get a job while he was there because we were trying to get in the studio too when I wasn't at church. Mm-hmm. which was every pretty much four or five days a week. And so um, so what ended up happening is a lot of times, a couple of days a week, we didn't eat. Wow. And we, I never called my parents. He never called his parents and told them because I didn't want anyone to say something like, you know what, you need to come home, you need to come home. We never told them. But many days we didn't eat. You know, um, a lot of times we would... It's crazy because Burger King, I tell the story many times, but Burger King at the time had a special where you get two double cheeseburgers for $2. So every day we would wake up and go look for $2. And that's a true story. So that's what I mean by if you're willing to make certain sacrifices, you, you would get certain results. We were willing to do that and we did it with a smile. Mm-hmm. We would laugh we would laugh at the things that we were going through. That's a very powerful thing when you can generally and and genuinely laugh at your missteps. Yeah. You can laugh at, you can't, when you take your shortcomings and you you can have the ability to laugh at it and not let it affect you or affect what the end goal is. Yeah. But again, at the time, I didn't know how powerful that was. You know, I didn't know how powerful it was to sit and say to each other, hey, man, I'm going to buy my mom a Benz for her birthday. Oh, I'm going to buy my mom. I'm getting her a Benz, too. Yeah, I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to get the beige. Yeah, I'm going to get it next week. We didn't even know how we was eating, but we used to talk to each other like that every day. <laughs> you know, we, in studio, we in the studio with boys and men tonight? Ah, oh, okay, cool. We laying on a concrete floor. We didn't even have a bed. And we're talking to each other like this. People would have thought we was crazy. You're speaking those but things. That's biblical. That's we were scripture. speaking That's, things yes. into yes. existence. And, yes. we, and we didn't even realize what we were doing. Yeah. See, now some people might look at that and say, oh, it was a coincidence. I, I've learned better since then. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it's one of the most powerful things you can do is have the right mindset. Yeah. It's the most powerful thing you can do. have the right mind. Yep. And so everything, it starts here. And so, I mean, think about what I'm saying. We didn't even know how we were eating, but whoever wake, wake up first, because we were sleeping in a concrete basement, no furniture, for a year and a half. No furniture. Every time it snowed in Detroit, it, it flooded the basement. Oh, gosh. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And so, but... Whoever wake up first, hey man, who we got in the studio tonight? Oh, oh for real, boys and men? Oh, uh, TLC? Oh, <laughs> oh, dope, cool, cool, all right, I see you there, I see you there. Literally planting And we go outside and try to find $2. Yeah, literally speaking those things up to God, yes. like, speaking People would up. thought we was crazy. And then, like, and then say if, you know, uh, I know, this is a true story, I have, it's so funny, I have my clothes, my church clothes, because you know, I always had to, um, be at you know church the week we had the sunday night broadcast at 10 30 p.m i had to be there at 7 a.m for the first broadcast so i was constantly having like to have on suits and stuff in church and all that you know church clothes well one time i had put all my clothes into a bag and i was going to um take them to the cleaners or whatever and it snowed that night and the way i had laid the bag or whatever all my clothes got messed up whatever the next day we just laughed we were laughing so hard about all of my clothes getting damaged. <laughs> Everything that happened to us, we found the ability to laugh at it wow. and genuinely get be like really like tickled by it. Like, okay, the worst thing that can happen, we could just go home. That's how we saw it. So, so when things would happen, wow, in my mind, like I'm not going home. That this is messed up, but whatever. So we would laugh at these things that was happening to us. And so, um, so then like finally, after about a year, cause Tim had just had a, his first child. And so his, his uh, naturally, the child's mother was like, you know what, you need to come home. Cause this is, so then yeah. Tim ended up going back to Peoria. So then about a month later, I was sitting on the organ in church and I just knew that this particular Sunday was my last Sunday. So after the service, I went over to the pastor. I said, you know, what? I don't, I don't know what it is, but today is my last day here. I'm, I'm being pulled to do something. And he was like, you know what? I fully support you. I'm always here for you. I love you. Thank you for, for coming here and, and inspiring our young people and all this stuff. And so I go back to Peoria, to Tim's house, because my parents are in Syracuse, New York at this time, because my dad, that's when he, about the same time I moved to Detroit, my dad had just gotten called to pastor a church there. But I didn't go back to Syracuse. I went to Peoria. I went to Tim's house. And so New Year's Eve of 1992, going into 1993, we just sitting in the living room. It's in the morning time. So we sitting in the living room. And we just look at each other like, and we, cause we have been talking about, man, we got to get to Atlanta, Dallas. Cause Dallas had been putting articles in Ride On Magazine. Hey, I'm looking right for producers. <laughs> I'm looking for producers. If you think you got what it take, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we was like, Atlanta, we got to get to Atlanta. So anyway, we sitting in his mom's living room. It's in the morning time, New Year's Eve, 1992, going into 1993. We looked at each other, we was like, hey, let's do it, man, let's just go. We ain't got nothing to lose. So then it was like, cool, all right, all right, well, how are we gonna get there? Now, mind you, we don't know anybody in Atlanta. We don't know anybody there. We don't have any fans, we don't have any money. And so, um, 
and I think, and this is the thing I think about when people be like, yeah, man, I'm struggling right now. You know, I'm like, did you eat today? Yeah, yeah, I ate. I was like, oh, you, you, you're not struggling. If you didn't eat a couple days and you're talking about, yeah, I'm really struggling with my music, then you, okay, you're struggling. But you, if you ate today, to me, you're not struggling. So anyway, so I called my uncle and my uncle spotted me $100 and Tim's mom gave him like $120. I'm going the highway. You know, that's a 10 hour drive. Yeah. So by the time we got to, to Atlanta, I had about $60 on me and Tim had about $80 on him. So he was like, oh, okay, we here. So now what are we gonna do? <laughs> so then it was like, all right, let's, so we go to, we just pull into this hotel. And then I call, I was like, man, I need to call my mom. My mom think I'm still in Detroit. She, she think I'm still in Detroit playing the organ. Wow. Call my mom. I was like, mom, you know, I'm, I'm in Atlanta. She's like, you're in Atlanta? Wait a minute. What, what happened? What are you doing in Atlanta? I was, so I was like, you know what? I'm just following what I believe. I know this might sound crazy. I just want you to know that I'm, I'm okay. I'm safe. And she was like, okay, well, you know, call me if you need to. You know, we come home. We, we can fly you home if you need to come home. I was like, no, I'm okay. Just, I just want you to know I'm okay. And so while we're on the phone, this dude comes down into the lobby. He's like, yo, yo. And we, and we turn around. It's one of our friends from Detroit, Paul Hill. It was like, Paul, what are you? He's like, what y'all doing here, man? He's like, we trying to meet Dallas. Paul is a guy that we had did some demos with in Detroit. Wow. So it was like, oh, we trying to, try to meet Dallas. He was like, I'm working at his studio. It was like, so then we was like, get out of here. It's like, yeah, they be tripping over there with the security, but no, nah, y'all gonna meet, I'm gonna see to it. And so it took, a, it, took a, it took about a week before we could actually get in because there was a lot that happened. I'm gonna condense the story, but it was a lot that happened, but it took about a week. The last day before Paul had to leave, you know, he was like, cause we were sleeping on the floor of Paul's hotel room. I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul and his girlfriend. So Paul and his girlfriend are there because he's there recording with Dallas. He felt God bless him. He, he, you know, he allowed us to sleep on his floor. And his girlfriend was pissed, I remember. <laughs> she was pissed. For a week, these two foreign dudes are sleeping on his floor. So anyway, so anyway, the last day before he had to leave, that was the last day we finally were able to meet Dallas because we were going to have to go back to Peoria. And so we caught Dallas coming out of the driveway of his studio. And Paul was like, yo, that's Dallas, hold on, let me out, let me get out. So Paul jumps out of the car. And so um, he goes over there and talks to Dallas. And so then Dallas pulls off. So then we was like, dang, what happened? So Paul comes back, he said, no, it's all good, it's all good. He said, y'all go in there and see Dave Gates. So we go inside and see Dave Gates. And that's when, you know, Dave was like, don't play me no slow songs. We ain't trying to hear no slow songs. We was like, and so it was like, y'all don't listen to slow music. So then that was when that happened. So then we ended up playing music and it all worked out. And Dallas came back, excuse me, Dallas came back and um, yeah. And it's funny because when we was first, when we first started playing the songs, we were sitting with Dave on the couch in, in Dallas's lounge area. And it was like a big open area and he had some speakers and Dallas is sitting in a circle playing Uno cards with a couple girls and a couple guys, whatever. People just hanging out, chilling. So Dave is sitting in the middle of me and Tim. So Dave is like, all right, man, I'm gonna give y'all two chances. I'm gonna play the first song and I'm gonna play the second song. If Dallas ain't nodding his head by the end of the second song, 
that's, that's it. We ain't, ain't really nothing we can do. And, you know, he ain't really feeling y'all. Like, he's got no dollars. He said, so I'm just telling y'all up front. So we was like, all right. So he pressed his play on the first song. And then it was a song that we actually did where we was kind of paying homage to Dallas's production at the time. So it was a song that literally sounded like Dallas. We did this purposely while I was in Detroit, and it sounded just like Dallas produced it. So we played this song. I remember the song. So he played the song. It was like, uh, it sounded just like Dallas's production for that era. And so, uh, so Dallas is playing cards. So in my mind, I'm like, Dallas, please start nodding your head, please. So Dallas is playing cards. So we all looking at him from across the, the lounge. And so, um, sorry for the sirens and stuff in the back, but. Okay, we in the middle of a pandemic. Right, right, right. That's what you guys are here. So, so we looking from across the lounge. And so Dallas has got his cards. And the next you know, he just started nodding his head a little bit. And then the song goes off. So then the second song comes on. And then Dallas playing cards again. So then um, Dave is talking to me and Tim like this. He's like, let's see, this is it. Wait a minute, he, oh, he nodding his head. So then, you know, Dallas is looking, he's nodding his head. And Dave's like, oh, I think y'all good. Y'all good. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of funny because, you know, the music is going. So then after that, Dave goes over there to talk to Dallas for a couple minutes. And then they like motion for us to come over there. And we go over there and that's when Dallas was like, yeah, that dude's just dope, man. You know, where y'all from? And, he, and we tell him where we from and everything. He's like, man, I like y'all production, man. He said, he said, I'm finna go out of town though, man. He said, I'm leaving tomorrow, which was Friday. It was, um, cause it was a Thursday. Cause he was leaving in the morning, which was Friday. He said, I, I gotta go to New York tomorrow. He said, but I'll tell you what, I'm gonna let y'all work in this room, this small room right here. And I want to see what y'all do by the time I come back. I'm like, cool. We did like 30 songs. I, over bet, the I, just say, I bet y'all beat it out from, so from, hard. <laughs> from Friday to Monday morning. We probably didn't even sleep. We did about 30 songs. I mean, full on songs, bridge, all of that. Songs, not, not lyrics, but just tracks. Yeah. But Dallas came back Monday, like the middle of the day, Monday. And so, oh, oh I, I forgot an important part. When he said, you know, I'm about to leave, you know, y'all can work in the studio. He said, where y'all staying at? We said, man, we don't have anywhere to stay. You know, Paul was nice enough to let us stay in his thing, but he's going back to Detroit in the morning. So then Dallas was like, well, y'all can y'all can sleep on the floor here. We didn't care. We had just slept on the floor for a year and a half in Detroit on a cement floor. So he's like, cool. Thank you. Thank you. So, we, you know, we, we spent the night and we slept on the studio floor. So he comes back in Monday evening. He's like, all right, let me hear it. The engineer is like, he's so tired because the engineer has <laughs> been there three days in a row. So the engineer is going through all the songs and Dallas is going through every song. Like, you know, next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. So he's asking the engineer, he said, they did all this over the weekend? And then he's like, yes, they did all of this over the weekend. <laughs> Don't you see I'm tired? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and Dallas is hearing it. So he was like, Cool, man. So then Dad was like, all right, I'm going to, let me just think about it, man. And I'm going to talk, we're going to, let's talk in the morning. The next morning comes in and Dallas was like, he just comes in the room and he luckily, thank God he had a shower and everything at his studio where we were able to shower and stuff. And so uh, he was like, 
All right, man. I really, I think we can, I think we can work together, man. Um, so I know y'all, I got some money issues, whatever. I tell y'all what, write down everything y'all owe. Both of y'all write down every bill that y'all owe. And um, immediately I thought I'm like, because I had had a car accident in Tim's sister car, and it was all my fault. Oh. I had like a five car accident, like right before I moved to Detroit. And the insurance company was on, they was really hassling Tim's dad because the car was in Tim's dad's name. And it was like, that alone was like a $12,000 bill back 27 years ago. A lot of money. Years ago. So that's like probably 30 grand, <laughs> 20 grand. And so um, I was like, because I'm hesitant. I'm like, man, I don't want this dude to see these numbers and then be like, ah, oh, man, this is too much money. We was like, are you sure, man? He's like, no, just write down everything y'all owe. So we writing, I'm, I'm writing, so I'm calling Tim's dad, getting the actual numbers that's old and the insurance. And so I'm looking at these numbers, I'm like, oh my God. Cause mine was, and I had something else I left out. My sister's car ended up getting, <laughs> Her car ended up getting beat up so bad, it stopped running. And I was still having to pay it, but I was able to get into a first time buyer program on a new car. Oh, so I had a, new, a brand new Chevy Cavalier. I hadn't paid the car note in almost a year. So the car company thought I had stole the car and I'm calling them like, guys, I'm in it. I just want y'all to know, I'm not stealing the car, I'm in Georgia. You're in Georgia? Oh my God, we're going to call the authorities. We're going to blah, 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 blah. They going up, they thinking that I stole this car. I put the car on there, I put the, so my bill alone was over $20,000. Mm -hmm. Tim had a lot of stuff, he was, so both of us, it came to about 50 Gs for both of us, about 25 each, give or take. So we, we hand him the list and he, you know, he look at the list and so then he just walks out the room. So we was like, dang, dang we might have messed up, man. The next day, he came in and gave us, gave Tim a check and gave me a check. He said, man, y'all go pay these things off. I want your mind clear. Let's work. Wow. That's what he did. All the things that had built up, like all the sleeping on the floor in Detroit, My God. all of that stuff was over in a moment. Because we was willing to make that sacrifice to go down there with 60 bucks. A lot of guys would be like, man, so what I'm going to do when I get down there? Who are who? We wasn't thinking about any of that. And so, and that's why I tell my kids to this day, you make certain sacrifices, you will get certain results. Yeah. And so, um, so that's that's how we we ended up in Atlanta. And I try to make it's so much more that I'm leaving out. So I'm, I'm, trying to make, I'm trying to make it as concise as I can. So I'm sorry if it got wordy, but yeah, tell those details. <laughs> no, I think that I think that this is a good time to just say shout out to Dallas Austin because oh, yeah. I feel like lover, he's one of those people that in my opinion doesn't get like the credit that he deserves. I was gonna say Dallas is such an underrated oh, like forget. he's like people one of the I have like very few people like in the industry that I'm like, oh man, if I could just sit and like talk to them about all that they did and like what they produced. Like he's one all of those right. people just 
kind of like an anomaly and so at such a young age too that's and he was like it. 17 when yeah. he did boys men whole first album yes yes like we don't talk about that enough because i feel like he's one of those people who like the yes. kids they have no clue what dallas austin is and they don't know who he is but um just shout out to him just a for being an incredible piece of yeah such a pioneer Dallas is the one that influenced Puffy. Like, yes, yes. Puffy, Puffy's office yes. in New York is Dallas's old office. Yes, like the Bad Boy offices is Dallas's old office. Dallas was the first guy to have a radio, uh, um, a record label in Atlanta, and he had a second second record label in New York City. And he was a baby child. And he was like twenty. <laughs> right now, your music hit. Maybe this is a good time for you to just stop and kind of do your research on Dallas Austin. Yes. Is it understanding? Because honestly, yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 100. I didn't really realize that he was that key for you guys oh, because yeah. I, I mean, we were on the phone the other night and it was some song. I think it was John B. Maybe that my brother brought up and I was like wait a minute, Tim and Bob did this? And he was like, I'm gonna disown you as an actual sister. Uh -huh. Like, you don't know that Tim and Bob yeah. It's just so much to y'all's story that, you know, it's hard to kind of, for me to keep- And I, and I wanna throw this in really quick. After we had that conversation, he paid off all of our stuff. The next thing he said was, okay, just for, for context, sorry for the helicopters and stuff. All right. But, um, but, uh, the time that we met Dallas, a month prior to that, his best friend got killed on a motorcycle. They were about to produce together. His name was Randy Rand. Randy Rand comes from Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis camp. Wow. He was an established producer in his own right. Okay. He had done, done stuff with Jimmy and Terry. They were about to produce together. So for lack of a better term, Dallas was in a very, he was very much was in a creative, slump he didn't want to wow. work mm -hmm. for like the first year and a half we were signed to him dallas was like i don't want to work right now man he had and he had he had so much money he didn't need he didn't need to work but this is what he said to us he was like so these are the projects that got man y'all can y'all can do them lionel richie hall of notes um tina turner boys and men new album tlc new album he's reading these projects up and we like He's like Tracy Spencer, uh, you know, Bobby Brown. He's new reading all this stuff. And we was like, let's, we was like, let's go. The next week, we were doing Tina Turner, I Don't Wanna Fight remix from the uh, What's Love Got To Do With It. Mm -hmm. First song that we did that actually came on the radio. Like, cause Tim's mom called What's us. my next question? What was your first radio song? But That's the first perfect. song it was, I Don't Wanna Fight from Tina Turner's oh. remix. And, ten, and we didn't know that it had even gotten released because Dallas came in and was like, yo, I want y'all to do this remix, man, y'all. Um, and so they, they put the reels on and it's Tina Turner's vocals. And we like, whoa, man. These reels has Tina Turner's name on it. <laughs> These are the raw tapes from Tina Turner. And that was the first thing that we did that came out on the radio because Tim's mom called us like a, about two months later. She's like, hey, is this a, is this the guy's song? Is this the song you guys just did on Tina Turner? And she, you know, played it, and it was the song. We both started crying. And we were like, oh, man, man, we did it, man. It's our first song on the radio, blah blah. But that was the first song that actually like was on the radio that we did was "I Don't Want to Fight" Tina Turner. 
And so, but that was all a result of Dallas not wanting to work at that time. So he fed us all these projects. Wow. You know, a week after that, Lionel Richie comes down. You know, maybe two weeks after that, we're in the studio doing TLC, Get It Up. Yeah. You know, shortly after that, you know, we're doing, um, these are just back in the day, but we're working with Tracy Spencer and Perfect Gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Way this early 90s. And then we started on another bad creation second yeah. album. And so when we were working on that album, Kevin Wells, shout out to Kevin Wells. Wells. Kevin comes into the studio. Kevin is the guy that discovered another bad creation. Those little kids, ABC, mm -hmm. Kevin put those guys together. These kids sold like four million albums that Dallas did that first album. So these guys were- These were actually buying whole albums. This is the thing, like- Yes. Buying albums. These are, this people. is why Dallas, y'all gotta think about these like OG, like producers and stuff. You gotta yeah. really think about what's happening. We're yeah. not talking about now where people want singles, yeah. they're streaming, they're not buying anything, they download them. We're talking about back in the day when people, when I was going to see- to like, go to the store. Buy an actual physical CD. Yeah. Or million albums. Yeah. <laughs> and you also have to think of these producers weren't using like Logic. They weren't like they were. There using, was such thing as Pro Tools back then. <laughs> yeah. They're using drum machines, and they're using. They were so it would take us two days. It would take a day and a half just to set up the room. All the because you had to bring in all the keyboards. It wasn't like now you, your computer is your studio. That's Man, they would have to bring in like seven of our keyboards. It would take a whole day to set up the studio. And so um, so we're working. So Kevin Wells comes to us and was like, hey, man, I got to put y'all with my guys. He was like, who? We think you're talking about ABC. He's like, we said ABC? He's like, no, ABC, but I got to put y'all with my guys, boys to men. We was like, man, don't play. Kevin, don't play. But then Kevin was like, no, I'm going to have Wanye come down because I want y'all to work with Wanye on another bad creation. Two weeks later, Wanye walks through the studio. We like, whoa, man. Yeah, I was gonna say, what was that like? Because I'm pretty sure y'all were already like, it was, like fans. You know what I mean? What it was, was it like? so crazy? Like, it was just crazy. We was like, whoa, man. This is the dude from Boys and Men. But by then, you know, we had met Lionel Richie, and we had met, you know, TLC was at the studio every day. And people were coming through. So we were, by that time, in our first month, we saw so many celebrities that we were like, wow. But when we saw Wanye for the first time, I was like, wow, this is a dude. We've been literally, like, we've been really following this guy crazy, like, the last two years, like, crazy. And he was just, and Wanye was just so cool, like, man, I heard a lot about y'all, man. Let's go, man. Let's work, man. Let's do it. And, and creatively, we just... It was like we was all just like a bunch of kids in the sandbox. Music was just flowing. The creativity was flowing. So then Wanye was like, hey, man, I got to get y'all up to Philly. We about to start our new album. Y'all got to be on this album. It was like, Wanye, come on, man. Please don't play with us like this. Because Boys is the biggest band in the world. Then. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. sure enough, they flew us to Philly.
Yo, how insane is this story? <laughs> I am truly loving just learning about the journey that Tim and Bob went on. Bob Robinson is one of the coolest dudes I've probably ever spoken with. Just the stories and the information and the lessons and the willingness to share is insane. If y'all have enjoyed part one of this episode, please make sure you like, subscribe, share this. He is such an incredible artist, such an incredible producer, and we have actually so much more to share with you from this interview so this is part one part two will be coming soon as always thank y'all so much for riding with the cosine podcast we know it's been a minute we've had a lot of life things going on but the fact that y'all check back in with us means so much so if you've enjoyed this episode please make sure you like share subscribe give us those ratings that we need um to continue to grow this podcast platform thank y'all so much for tuning into the cosine and see you next time do you deserve a cosign? This episode of the Cosign Podcast is sponsored by Dope Life, No Hype, a workbook on gratefulness written by Douglas Watley. Available on Amazon today.